All right, the book of Revelation, let's go there. The book of Revelation, the actual word revelation is a Greek word, apocalypsis. It means unveiling. An unveiling. And that is what the book of Revelation is. It is not as much an unveiling of the future events as it is an unveiling the coming of Jesus Christ. And as we're here to study prophecy, let me just remind us that as much as anything, we are here to love and to worship and to get acquainted more with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's really what prophecy is. Amen? It is a study of Jesus Christ. We were flying home to Sacramento, came into the Sacramento airport, a great airport really. As the wheels of the plane hit the runway, the plane began to taxi towards uh, where we could disembark. All through the plane, we could hear a familiar sound, the unfastening of seatbelts. And then, of course, the familiar words came over the intercom, please remain seated, stay in your seat with your seatbelt fastened until the plane comes to a complete stop. Not very many of us paid very much attention to that. We were all looking for our stuff and getting our things all ready, and we were very anxious to get out of that plane. Now, why were all those people anxious to get out of that plane? Well, for many of them, they were home. They were back in a place where they would just in a few minutes be with the people they loved. It's an interesting thing about flying in and landing there. The, uh, the flight attendants didn't have to pull anybody out of their seat. Everybody was jumped up, boy, and I mean, as soon as that plane stopped, those overhead bins flew open and people are banging each other on the head. I mean, the fact is nobody wanted to stay on that plane any longer than they had. It reminds me of we as Christians. We're here, we're in this world, and I wonder... Why is it that we hold so fast to the seats that we have in this world? Why aren't we as anxious as the people on that plane to get off of this old world and get out of here? You know, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, the fact is, we're not home yet, and we're ready for Jesus to come. We're ready to get off this plane, amen? And we're looking for Jesus to come. And the book of Revelation talks just about that. I read a cute story this week about a pastor who left a Bible verse from the book of Revelation on a door. A new pastor was visiting the homes of some of the people in his congregation. He came to one house and he knocked, no answer. You could see the lights were on. It seemed very obvious somebody was home, but no answer. So he knocked again. Finally, after no response, he took out a note card and simply wrote on that card, these words, Revelation 3.20. He stuck it in the door. The next Sunday after the offering was passed, he found someone had put a note in the plate to him. He looked at it to see that they had added a cryptic message saying simply Genesis 3.10. The pastor grabbed his Bible and opened it to the verse he had cited and began to laugh. 
Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Revelation, or Genesis 3.10 says, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, for I was naked. <laughs> Be careful for your verses. All right. Well, I hope that you will pay attention and answer the door today. All right. Let's all bow for a word of prayer. Father, we come before you today, and we thank you for the truth behind the book of Revelation. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Revelation. Every book needs a target group. And so let's go to verse number one of Revelation chapter one. As I mentioned last week, I got to thinking that uh, we should go through the entire book of Revelation, but it would take months really to do justice to it. So I thought, well, maybe periodically we'll just go through the book. And so in these three Sundays, uh, we're going to try to get through all of chapter one. So that's kind of what we're doing. We're just going through the book of Revelation and periodically we'll pick it up and talk about it. And so verse number one, every book needs a target group. And God showed us one. It says, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants. Last week, you may recall that we found out the word servant is a Greek word, doulos, which is the word for a bond servant. This is not a person who is a slave, captured against their will, but rather someone who goes through a ceremony as they did in the Old Testament where they would willingly submit themselves to a good master. Being a bond slave was not a bad thing because really, even though they were definitely indentured to the master, the pastor, the master <laughs> would take care of them, their provision, their protection. And of course, what a wonderful thing to have such a master as the Lord Jesus Christ. Then every book must have a subject. Notice verse 1, which must shortly come to pass. You'd say, wait a second, now I know a little bit about uh, biblical chronology, and I know that the Apostle John lived about the time of Christ, and a few years after he went to heaven. That was about 2,000 years ago. So let me get this straight. The Apostle John gets a word from the Holy Spirit that Jesus and all these events are shortly coming to pass. Hey, it's been 2,000 years. How could that be shortly? Well, actually, we need to understand what that word shortly is. Actually, it's the Greek word takos, T-A-C-H-O-S. For those of you that uh, maybe work on cars or you know a little bit about cars, you know that there is at least one English word that we get that Greek word takos from, and that is tachom tachometer. A tachometer measures the speed of the RPMs of the engine. You might have an engine there, you know, and you're going 70 miles an hour, but you're only going 4,000 RPMs. Or like in my Volkswagen, if you're going 4,000 or you're going 70 miles an hour, the RPMs are like 8,000. And that's just, uh, it is measuring the speed of something. And what it's meaning is, is once it starts... It picks up speed, and that's what the word means. Once the events begin, it will shortly come to pass. And that's actually what the word means. And I will tell you, if you will pick up your Bible with one hand, 
and you'll pick up your newspaper or you'll get your phone in your hand and check out the news, you will know that it will be abundantly clear we are living in the shadows of the final time. It is that tachometer is pegged all the way over. It is coming quickly for sure. And then there is an author of the book. Verse number four, John. John speaks to the seven churches here. Now, the Apostle John is about 90 years of age. Later on in the chapter, it talks about him being exiled on the Isle of Patmos, which was a Greek island. Here, all by himself, sitting out there looking at those blue waters of the Grecian Bay, the Holy Spirit gives him a vision unlike any other. And he's commissioned to write by the publisher, God the author of the book. And then every book needs a publisher. And this particular publisher of the book Revelation is given here in verse number four. It is the Trinity Publishing Company. Verse number four, notice what it says, from, verse four and five, from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ. Now, three times that little preposition from is used. Normally, when the Trinity is mentioned, it is mentioned in this order, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But here in these verses, God does it differently. He mentions the Father, and then the Holy Spirit, and then finally, He puts Jesus finally. The reason for that is that God is trying to give us an emphasis that the book of Revelation is all about the, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as it says there, the revealing of Jesus Christ. Now your book needs a dedication. We need a publisher, we need an author, we need a focus group. We also need a dedication. In the last part of verse 5 it says, unto him... Unto him that loved us. The book of Revelation is dedicated to Jesus Christ. It has been my privilege to be an author of seven books now. During that time, I have dedicated those books to different ones. To my wife, to my family, to this congregation, to the Holy Spirit. But here the Apostle Paul says that this book is dedicated unto Jesus Christ. And that's what we're here to do. We are here to proclaim. And in the balance of chapter 1, most of it really is about Jesus. Even though it's the book of Revelation, we're saying, isn't this about the future? Well, you'll see that it really is, but it is all about Jesus Christ. And our joy is to fall in love with Him over and over again. David Peterson is a Presbyterian pastor. He told about the time he was neck deep in preparing a sermon and very pushed for time. His little daughter came up to him and said, Daddy, can we play, please? He answered, Honey, I'm so sorry. I'm right in the middle of preparing a sermon, and in about an hour we can play. She said, Okay, Daddy, when you're finished, I'm going to give you a great big hug. Her father said, Well, I'll look forward to that, honey, and thank you very much. She went to the door, stopped abruptly, did a U-turn, ran back to her daddy, gave her a bone-breaking hug, 
And then the dad said to her, I thought you were going to give me a hug after I finished. She said, Daddy, I just wanted you to know what to look forward to. And you know, that's the way I feel about Jesus, amen? When I read the book of Revelation, I just get excited about, I get looking forward to just hugging Jesus. And that's what we're here to do this morning. This is a Jesus-hugging church, amen? All right, three things I want you to notice about the book of Revelation from chapter 1. Let's look at it. First of all, a blessing pronounced. The most beautiful pronouncement that ever has been. The future is now. Verse number 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was, which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, washed us from our sins in his own blood. Notice the three blessings that he pronounces here this morning. First of all, the book of Revelation is to remind us that he loves us. Jesus loves us. Now, does anybody know when Jesus started loving us? Well, the truth of the matter is he never actually started loving us. Because he was always loved you and I. He loves us continually. He loves us and he loved us before the earth was ever put into space. He loved us before this world ever began. You and I were in the heart of God before the foundation of the world. He loves you. Individually, He loves you. I heard a Christian singer the other day and seemed a little unique uh, person, but uh, they said something along the lines that Jesus is crazy about you. And I got the distinct uh, impression that He was indicating that Jesus was crazy about me because there was something special about me. Well, I will tell you this morning that yes, Jesus is crazy about us, and yes, He does love us. But I very clearly want to say He doesn't love us because we're valuable. We're valuable because He loves us. That's what makes us valuable, is because I am loved by Jesus Christ. I want you to say something this morning just out loud. I want you to say, Jesus loves me. Would you do that? Say it out loud. Jesus loves me. He does. He loves you. But never get the idea that he loves you because you're lovable. The fact is, he doesn't love us because we're lovable. He just loves us. In fact, you can't make yourself lovable to God. There's no way. I once read about a man who put a want ad in the paper for his lost dog. He loved his dog. The ad went something like this. The dog has bare spots from some mange it had. The dog limps because it was hit by an automobile. It has arthritis in its joints. And also the dog is blind in one eye. And then he wrote in the ad, he answers to the name Lucky. <laughs> now what made that dog so lucky? I'll tell you what made him lucky. This man offered a reward to get back his dog named Lucky. It <laughs> was a bad dog for sure. But what made this thing so beautiful was the fact that this dog was really lucky is because someone loved him enough to pay a price to get it back. 
And I will tell you this morning, that's you and I. All of us here this morning that are saved by Jesus Christ are lucky dogs. Amen. We have been saved by the grace of God, and we don't deserve it. We are all dogs. We have mange. We have arthritis in our spiritual joints, but our master loves us anyway. We are valuable because he loves us. That old hymn written by Philip Paul Bliss, wonderful things in the Bible I see, but this is the dearest, that Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves even me. He loves us, number one, the first blessing. The second blessing is that he washes us. Look at verse number five. Unto him that loved us and washed us. And washed us. Sometimes we get the idea that we can clean ourselves up. And if we'll clean ourselves up enough, then maybe Jesus will really love us. Maybe we can even go to church then. But I want you to know this morning that it doesn't say that he washed us so he can love us. He loves us because he's already washed us. A little child comes in dirty from the house or from outside, comes into the house. The mother doesn't wash that child so that she can love it. The mother loves the child so she washes the child. And God doesn't change us so he can love us. He loves us before he changes us. He loves us so he can change us. That word there, wash, actually is the word loose. That Greek word wash is actually the word loose and is a very significant word because it's not only talking about past tense. He loved us, but it's talking about present, even future tense. He looses us. He is willing to set us free from every sin, every stain, everything that's ever happened in our life. My wife was always telling me, honey, how did you get this on your shirt? How did you get this on your pants? How did you get this on your pillowcase? I'll wake up in the morning, there'll be blood on my pillowcase. She said, what did you do during the meal? I don't know, honey. I, don't, I wake up, I have bruises and scrapes all over my hands. I, I don't know, she does things at night and she's blaming me for them. But uh, no, the fact is, poor thing, she has to go over there and wash them. She's scrubbing them. She's trying to use some kind of detergent and... It seems like they're never quite the same, but I'll tell you one thing. We may not be able to wash things out of this, this world, but i tell you one thing. Jesus can wash every stain, every sin. He looses that thing. It just sets it free, and that's what it says here. He loves us. He washes us, but there's a third favor. He favors us, a third blessing. Look at verse 6. He has made us kings and priests unto God his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Has anybody ever seen, has anybody here ever seen a real live king in the flesh? You ever seen one? Well, would you like to see one? Here you go, right here. I am a king. I am. The Bible says I'm a king. Why don't you look to the person next to you and say, you are a king. Would you do that? You are a king. Or if it's a female, say, you're a queen. <laughs> How many have ever seen a Baptist priest? Anybody ever seen a Baptist priest? Well, here I am. I'm a Baptist priest right here. Tell you what you do. You go home today and look in the mirror and you realize that because of Jesus and he has loosed us from our sins in the days to come, the future days, I am a king and a priest unto God. 
You may not be recognized in this world, but I tell you, you are more royalty than Prince Harry. Everybody's going to be looking at him and all the other royals and all the ones getting married. I'll tell you one thing. We are more royalty than the English royal family. Not only a blessing pronounced, but notice a coming announced. Verse 7. Let's read it together, if you would, please, out loud. Ready? Verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. All the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. He's coming with clouds. Now, is he talking about cumulus clouds or what other other kind of moisture clouds there are? No, he's talking about the Shekinah glory of God. What is the Shekinah glory of God? It is the outpouring of the glory of God. It is a visible outpouring of God's glory, spoken of oftentimes in Scripture as a cloud. For example, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 9, it says that when Jesus ascended after his resurrection, the clouds received him out of their sight. A couple of verses later, the angel told the disciples, this same Jesus, which is taken up from you in heaven, so shall come in like manner as ye have seen him go. He's going to come in a cloud of glory. Every eye shall see him. We're always hearing about somebody on the radio or some book, and they'll say, Jesus actually came in 1832, or Jesus actually came in whenever. My friend, that, no way that could be, because the Bible says every eye shall see him, and every eye shall see him, and he's going to come over that eastern gate and that tome of the rock there in Israel. The Bible says he's going to come in the clouds. He's going to be seen. Who is going to see him? Notice what this verse says. Those who pierced him. Those who killed him. Now, sadly, most of the ancient artists, when they would portray Jesus, we don't have any photographs of Jesus, but when they would portray Jesus, especially on the cross, they would picture him, and sometimes you'd see this effeminate-looking person, you know, almost fully clothed, and, you know, a little trickle of blood coming down his face. I'm not sure why they did something like that, but trust me, that was not the crucifixion. In fact, uh, those that looked at him on the cross said, what is it? They didn't even know if it was a man. They just didn't know it was so terrible-looking. And that's the way the world knows Jesus. And the last time he was here, that's how they saw him. But notice what the Bible says. Those who crucified him will see him in a different way. Look at verse 13. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, girt about the paps with a golden girdle. There in the midst of the seven candlesticks, verse 14. His head and his hairs were white like wool, white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. His voice is the sound of many waters, verse 16, and he had in his right hand the seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance 
was as the sun shineth in his strength. The last time this world saw him, he was hanging in shame. But when he comes again, he is coming in glory, and he will be dressed with royal robes. The last time this world saw him, his hair was matted with the crimson blood of sin. The next time this world sees him, his hair will be white, purity of snow. When they saw him the last time, his eyes were filled with tears of love. When he comes again in glory, the Bible says his eyes are like a flame of holy fire. The last time this world saw him, there was a huge spike driven through his feet, nailing him to a cross. But the next time he comes again, those same ones who crucified him are going to see his feet as molten brass judgment bringing forth justice of God. When they saw him the last time, they put a spear in his side, and out came water and blood. But this time, the Bible says they won't put a spear in his side, because out of his mouth is going to come a sword, a sword of the Word of God. It is righteousness. The whole point is this, friend, when Jesus comes again, it's going to be way different than the first time. Jesus is coming again. And all the people of the earth will see him. But the Bible says they will wail because of him. They're going to see Christ. But I will tell you, every human being has a date to see God individually. Every one of us will stand before God. As it says in Romans chapter 14, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess to God. Yes, the Bible says very clearly when Jesus comes again, it's going to be way different. And that's what the vision that the Holy Spirit gave to the Apostle John. He was saying, I know the vision that this world has of Jesus is this Jesus who was born in a manger and lived a life and went around and healed people. And I know the vision the world has is him crucified and beaten and put down. But I'm going to tell you, when he comes again, it's going to be way different, way different. A blessing pronounced. And then a coming announced. And then finally, but thank God, an uprising denounced. Look at verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and death. For 6,000 years since that satanic rebellion, before Adam and Eve it was ever on this earth, for the last 6,000 years plus, Satan has had in his hands the keys to hell and to death. And John is so overwhelmed at the glory and the majesty and the magnitude and the awesomeness of this moment of our glorified, ascended Savior. He comes and he has the keys in his hands. And look what it says in verse 17. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, fear not. Now, I love that. I love it because when you read the book of Revelation... Sometimes things seem a little scary. Not scary because we're afraid of Jesus coming, but just the, the awesomeness of the justice of God, the vengeance of God. You can't see these verses without honestly just getting a sense of awe at the, 
justice of God. But notice what it says that Jesus does. Jesus reaches down and he touches John and he says, John, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And even though his outward appearance has changed from when John had first seen him when he was here on earth, though his majestic glory is in big display, his heart is still the same. And notice it says he touches him with his right hand the hand of authority, the hand of power, the hand of judgment, but it's a hand of love. He may be coming in glory, he may be coming in justice, but he's still got the same heart that he's always had. Don't you love that part of our Easter dramas? I think this last one we did had it where Jesus comes and there was a leper and everybody else was saying, get away from me. We, they, didn't, they didn't want to be close to the leper. But Jesus says, come. And that leper looks at his hand. <laughs> Glory to God. I always love that part. I always get goosebumps or start weeping when Jesus is healing people. And brothers and sisters, these are dangerous days. These are days of unprecedented human history. Never in human history for the last 2,000 years has Israel been a nation. And now every day Israel is in the news. It is now a nation. In Matthew chapter 24 it says this is the budding of the fig tree. Never before has there been such an explosion of knowledge. And the book of Daniel chapter 12 says that in that day knowledge shall be increased. Nobody can deny that these are signs of our days. These are days where we must realize Jesus is coming soon. The Bible talks about the fact of signs in the sun and the moon and the stars, the sea and the waves that are roaring, all kinds of natural disasters. Every week we hear things that are just unprecedented. Just this past week down in by Santa Barbara and Montecito neighborhood there, here's this multi-million dollar home with people sleeping in the middle of the night and at 2.30 in the morning all the trees and the boulders and the mud just comes ripping down. There are still people missing. We know that there are many that have lost their lives. Folks, our world is coming to this, this great uh, events of changing. The Bible says in Matthew chapter, excuse me, Revelation chapter 13, that no man will be able to sell or buy that doesn't have the mark, the name of the beast. We are moving quickly into a cashless society. This monetary system is changing all over. The world pushed for peace. The Bible says when everybody keeps crying out peace and safety, then there's going to be sudden destruction. But in spite of it all, the Bible says that Jesus is there and his right hand of authority has everything under control. And he says, don't be afraid. Sometimes Christians say, I don't like reading the book of Revelation. It makes me afraid. My friend, if you're a believer, you don't have to be afraid. Never be afraid. It's an incredible, yes, it's awesome, it's, it's uh, amazing, but have no fear. It's been said there's three kinds of people in this world, people who are afraid, those who don't know enough to be afraid, and then those who know their Bibles. And if you know your Bible, you don't have to be afraid of these future events that we're talking about here. You'd say, well, what about the monetary system? I don't care. I mean, we'll just keep moving on. 
Nobody's putting any stinking chip in me, I'll tell you that right now. But I'll but you know what? No matter whatever happens, we're gonna be okay. It's gonna be all right. It's we don't have to be afraid when you know your Bible. Look at verse 18. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. I'm glad that Jesus has the keys to hell and death. Why are we glad that Jesus has the keys? Because one who has the keys is in authority. Now what do keys do? Keys open. What do keys do? Keys close. What do keys do? They liberate. What do keys do? They imprison. Mankind has two great enemies, hell and death. The Bible says he holds both the keys to both in his hands. When a person dies, their body goes to the death, to the grave. But their soul goes to a place, the Greek word Hades, which actually has a good part to it. But Hades temporarily gets the soul and the spirit. But Jesus has the keys to death, where the body is, and, where the, and to Hades, where the soul and spirit is. Now Satan thought he had the keys. Satan assumed that he would always have the keys. He felt like that when he put Jesus to death on the cross, he forever secured the keys in his hands. And on day one after the crucifixion, Satan still had the keys in his hands. And on day two, Satan still had the keys in his hands. But on day three, on that Easter, 2,000 years ago, all of a sudden, that stone rolled back and up from the grave, Jesus came and he reached over to death and he pulled death off of, the, off of that throne and he put his foot right on, the throne of, right on the throat of death and said, I will tell you right now, you no longer have access to these people. I hold the keys to heaven and hell. That's what he has. That's our Savior. And that's what our Savior does. Folks, that's who we serve this morning. Yesterday morning at 8.06 a.m., there was a false alarm of a missile heading towards Hawaii. You may have read about it. It turned a day of, in paradise, to one of absolute terror. Those who lived in Hawaii got cell phone messages, something like this. Ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. And from 8.06 to about 8.25, about 20 minutes or so, the people of Hawaii were absolutely in a panic. I read excerpts of what people did during that 20 minutes. It's fascinating. When you know an inbound ballistic missile is coming towards your island, you know that there's no way to get away from it. One person pulled over to the side of the road and began to weep. Another person began to text everybody they knew and say, I love you, I forgive you, and made things right. Other people ran home and grabbed their family and got inside of a tub and tried to protect themselves all over the nation. People were going berserk for 20 minutes. Everybody was living in fear. 
Jesus says to us this morning. By the way, they finally corrected that and told everybody they were sorry, there's a mistake. And of course, there's some people on the hot uh, seat for this morning. The fact is, I, what those people did during that 20 minutes, I think, says a lot about who they are. 20, folks, someday we're going to get that. That text is going to come on our cell phone. It's going to happen. One of these days, it's going to happen. But I'll tell you what, even if that did happen, I already know who's got the keys to death and hell. My Savior. My Savior has the keys. I am saved by the grace of God. Jesus took care of my past, but I'm thankful this morning he's got my future covered too. The future is now. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed here this morning.